Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a returning guest, very special guest. His name is Keith Cornerluck. And we did our first show maybe two years ago. We covered his excellent podcast. I highly recommend people check this out. And I'll put a link to the show notes. If you're watching this on Rockfin and YouTube, you can see the website. It's called Modem Mischief. So M-O-D-E-M Mischief. I'm old enough to remember what a modem is. I don't even know if they use them anymore, but uh, that's how like we used to communicate back in the day was you had to get a modem. Anyway, we talked, we did a show about, I think we talked about uh, Ross Ulbricht. We talked about Silk Road, which kind of comes up in this today's show, what we're going to talk about. We also covered his three-part series on Julian Assange. And he's done a lot of new episodes since we last talked, but I was looking through his material. And I remember this story about Chloe Ailing this uh, UK kind of uh, model and her story of what happened. And you're really strange in the black death group. Like it's a really interesting story. It's a modern story and he just covered it. And you can see that this is most, his most recent episode up on uh, his website. So I suggest people go check it out, but he's going to talk more about it. So Keith, welcome back to the show. William, thanks for having me back. Third time, I was expecting like a bronze bust of your face or at least a, you know, a coffee mug. But I had the wife check the mail and she said nothing arrived. So, you know, maybe well, that's maybe a good idea. Maybe that's the next step. I'll, I'll start sending out return things or something. I really should really at this point. I've had so many return guests, but uh, maybe for people who hadn't had had not heard our earlier two shows, maybe you can go into your background, uh, the formation of Modem Mischief. What have you been working on leading up to this most recent episode? Uh, Moda Mischief is a true cybercrime podcast. So, um, you know, it's telling the story of what goes on in the digital underground, um, you know, using a sort of unique storytelling thing. So I want to make it accessible for everyone, um, you know, computer hacking, um, you know, online scams, things like that are affecting everybody, not just people that are super nerdy about uh about computers. And so I thought it was an interesting and fun story to tell. Um, you know, it, when I was 16 years old, I was sort of a computer hacker. And I remember my dad got a letter from the FBI because I dialed into some voicemail that I wasn't supposed to. And I've always had a deep interest in that, in that I just wasn't smart enough to actually do any hacking. Uh, so when podcasting came along and I was looking for a show, um, I just thought that there were so many good stories to tell. And that's why I started Modem Mischief. And, uh, you know, it's been going just uh, two year, we just passed our two year anniversary. So, well, congrats! That's great. You had forty two episodes. They're very well produced, so people can see that. There's a lot of stories that I wasn't aware of. I kind of, you know, grew up in a tech environment in Northern California, and uh, but there's, I mean, it's really something else. What's going on online, and it leads up to kind of this one. You, this is actually your. The, you have a more recent episode than this Ailing one. I just found that out. I just realized that. Sorry about that, but. Can you talk about your interest and in how you came across this story in particular about Chloe Ealing? Yeah, I have a deep fascination with the dark web. Um, and it's hard to tell fact from fiction, which is what makes this episode about uh, Chloe and the, the Black Death group uh you know of keen interest to me she was a model in the uk or she still is a model in the uk i think she has an only fans account now but um she was one of those people that wasn't a supermodel so she wasn't one of those high ticket models you know she would do sort of you know back page magazines topless stuff like that um and ended up uh basically having a stalker you know she went to a shoot in italy and um she ends up being kidnapped and it was a whole huge dramatic ruse of this gentleman who was supposed to be a photographer posing as a hitman 
for a cyber uh, cyber crime group called the Black Death Group, and they specialize in trafficking women across the internet. And so she was supposed to be sold on the dark web to, you know, someone in the Middle East for $300,000 is basically what they were asking. Um, cut to she's been in captivity in this farmhouse uh, in Italy. And, uh, you know, he says, we weren't supposed to abduct you because you have uh, you have a child. We don't abduct mothers, which, you know, very altruistic of them. Um and, you know, she they end up sending out a ransom note to her manager and some other people trying to obtain this $300,000 so they can let her go. And they're only able to raise about $15,000. The guy lets her go anyway. This, you know, supposed elite hitman with a, you know, huge military background. You know, he's claimed to have killed, you know, hundreds of people. Worth he's worth tons of money, right? So oh, yeah. Saying, right? Yeah, it's it's an absolutely insane story. Um and then it comes to find out, you know, she's finally, you know, he's finally taking her uh, away to be released. Uh, she's going to, I think, the British consulate and she's taken in there and they take this gentleman into custody. And it turns out that this guy was not an elite hitman. He was not part of some dark web of, you know, digital underground mafiosos. He was just a guy that kind of liked a girl that he saw once and, um, you know, there was no black death group. You know, there was um, uh, some stuff on Reddit, uh, you know, uh, allusions to, you know, stuff like that. But what we found in our research is that there's really not much of any human trafficking going on in the dark web, which to me was surprising. Um, all instances of things like human trafficking and, you know, hitmen, you know, you hear people hiring hitmen over the Internet are typically just honeypots by various law enforcement agencies to get people to uh, admit to doing it, um, you know, taking some cash. And then they end up getting busted. Uh, the very first story we tell at the beginning of this episode, episode 42, that is our most recent episode. We released a bonus. Oh, episode. It is. OK, sorry. All right, yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, some guy in, uh, gosh, I can't remember the state, but somewhere in the United States, you know, he's got a whole bondage dungeon in his, uh, in his house as one does. And, um, he tries to buy two women on the internet from a site called collarme.com. Um, and that website was just basically uh, law enforcement trying to catch people, trying to buy people over the internet. And um, you have to give a shout out to the person that wrote this episode, Jim Rowley, who's written a bunch of our episodes. But, you know, at the end, uh, the final line of the show um, is, you know, you don't need the dark web for human trafficking because people are being human trafficked all around you. Facebook, Craigslist, the former back page that went under all over, you know, anywhere you go on dating apps and things like that, even on Twitch and gaming platforms. So it, it it's is incredible. It's a bigger market or bigger uh revenue than drugs now is uh, sex and human trafficking it's not believable but it's really the truth it's crazy it is crazy i think what's crazy too is that it all happens out in the open you know and it doesn't happen in this sort of digital underworld that only a few people know about sort of like you know the auction at the end of uh the first movie taken it it doesn't seem to exist i mean yes there is a lot of bad things on the dark web there is a lot of child pornography and things like that but we're not seeing these sort of human auction sites and if we do they're typically operated by law enforcement thank god now who knows i mean that may become a reality at some point but uh it doesn't seem to be that way right now Right. And they wouldn't be, they would all be encrypted. 
there was one I had another guest and she looked into the dark web and the, the people who were doing it, they were like rolling people for money. So they would like, oh, yeah, I'm a hitman. I'll give me 50 thousand and then just disappear with their yeah. money. And they're actually so, yeah, they're very few kind of random uh, assassin for hire things online there. But this was an interesting story. And nobody believed her when she got released. The cops didn't think that she was telling the truth. Yeah, she, you know, when she was with this guy, she wasn't sure. I mean, she thought he was telling the truth. I mean, he definitely seemed a little too forthcoming with some information, but she sort of played into it. He took a liking to her, you know, uh, had a bit of a crush on her. Um, and she played into that. And, you know, he took her to, you know, a town, you know, a sort of a ski town on their way back. Um, so there was security footage of the two of them together. And she's acting kind of like her, you know, like his girlfriend. Um, you know, she seemed like she was, you know, enjoying being there. Um, but it did come to law enforcement was able to find, um, you know, uh, traces of ketamine uh, through her uh, hair sample, which is what they injected her with to sort of put her out. They threw her in the back of a trunk, you know, of a car just to keep her out. Um, and then there was some digital messages between the kidnapper and Chloe that did confirm what had actually happened. So I don't think there's much of a doubt in most circles that there was anything nefarious, at least on Chloe's part of that story. She was legitimately kidnapped, but she wasn't kidnapped by an elite underground cyber assassin, part of some, you know, huge mafia thing. Yeah. Right. And this is. is what she looks like. Yeah, this is her. So they're like, there's the stories are all over the UK. Yeah, she was an attractive woman, but like they had definitely drugged her. I mean, she was put in. They would make the people who abduct her made her think that she was really abducted. She was in like a, a bag and tied up and in a trunk, right? Yeah, they they went to uh, extreme lengths to make it seem like this was part of some big operation, and we don't really know what the end game was. You know, I think he, you know, the kidnapper took her back to, you know you know, to get her back with her family, hoping that she would somehow come around and adopt him as a boyfriend. But clearly, clearly there were some huge mental issues there. He did not think any of this through, um, but no one was going to get killed and nobody was going to, you know, get sold to some wealthy uh, oil baron in the Middle East, which is was something that he threatened. Right. Like some human trafficking. I mean, there is, there is sex trafficking, but it's uh, voluntary. That happens often, actually. They call yeah. it yachting or whatever is a term for it or whatever. But uh, she was like, she was in fear of her life. And then she was on these shows. I don't know if you saw them, but like they didn't, people in back in the UK where she was from, they didn't believe her. They didn't, they were really grilling her. Like this whole story isn't believable. Well, you know, I think it is important that she is grilled. I mean, we, you know, you have to get to the bottom of it, but you know, at the end of the day, the evidence you know, seems to be the evidence and it doesn't seem like there was anything nefarious going on from Chloe's point of view. Um, you know, and also too, you know, uh, media can get out of control. People can pick up one little thing on camera and say, Hey, you know, that's this, something else is going on. But right. at the end of the day, it was just one big ruse. Now as a story, as a, just a pure storyteller who enjoys producing podcasts, I would love if there was this deep underworld that we could get into of the black death group and identify the top members and stuff like that. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, 99% chance that it doesn't actually exist and any traces of the black death group, probably trace back to law enforcement somewhere wow so it's all kind of fake yeah that's remarkable yeah and she um 
they there were also complaints that she was making it up like i think the evidence shows she wasn't but they the media thought that she was making it up to get uh exposure she wrote a book too so there is a kind to this whole story there is a kind of like media aspect to it where she was kind of maximizing the story to the extent did you ever get that feeling researching this yeah i mean I don't really have anything against taking advantage of a situation and trying to make some money off of it. I mean, at the end of the day, this was not someone who was a supermodel making millions of dollars. You know, this isn't, you know, uh, whatever the 2023 version is of Cindy Crawford. Um, you know, so she was really fighting for these modeling gigs that weren't paying all that much, all the while having to support, you know, a little kid at home. So, you know. It's, you know, everybody who has something, you know, traumatic happen to them, if there's an opportunity to sort of monetize that to set yourself up, I don't really have a problem with that. Um, is it in poor taste? It's kind of up to whoever, you know, I, I, I can't speak for everyone else's taste, but um, I could see why she definitely did that. I think if I was abducted, um, you know, and put up for auction, which very clearly by, you know, seeing me here on screen, that won't happen. Um, you know, I'd probably want to write a book and get some media exposure and some extra dollars there, too. Yeah, there it is. My yeah. untold story of my abduction, Chloe Ealing. But it was like she was lured to Italy. That was sort of the promise of a, a modeling job, right? So, yeah. Like, yeah, I think it was for motorcycle leathers or, or or something of that nature. And then it turns out that it's this deranged fan. And I mean, have you heard his story? Like what? Uh, he wasn't even from the UK, right? No, he was from, gosh, now uh, he was from Italy. Um, you know, I think he was from Poland, his... Poland. Like he was, was Pol in yeah, it was Poland. They were, they were Pol in it. Guy acting like he was Italian, I think something like that. Everybody yeah, it was him and his brother, and then his brother dropped out because he didn't like how that was going. They both faced prison time. They ended up getting their sentences reduced, I think, because you know nothing too bad actually happened really in the end. Um, but it was really just some deranged fan who you hear it about all the time. Celebrities with stalkers, you just get attached to them and try to get close to them. Yeah, it's called a parasocial relationship. So she probably didn't even know this guy was like admiring her from the page three, you know, this uh, lurid photos or whatever. And yeah. then he's like, I'm going to set this whole thing up. But like, uh, like, I guess he got sentenced. Like it says right here, he he went to the big house for a long period. Yeah, you said his sentence was reduced though, right? Yeah, with sentences reduced, I do believe he's still in prison. His brother was also convicted because he was part of the, uh, he was part of the initial kidnapping. So Right. So it turns out the brother was and he tried to like avoid his uh uh involvement, right? I mean he tried to deny that he was involved in it, but it was too yeah, he left mid kidnapping because he just wanted to get away from it. But you know, I mean wow. if you participate, you're gonna get convicted. So Right. That's so crazy. Where is he? I think that there's a picture of this guy somewhere. Lucas Erba. Yeah. Yeah. He's right there. Let's see. Yeah, so it's kind of like a hapless, uh, a hapless criminal. Like it's just such a strange story, like the whole thing. But it, it's totally about like the internet and deception and yeah. And there's a lot, there's a lot of that there. And I, you know, I'm not saying in the next five years that there won't be some, you know digital underground of you know people that are interconnected that are participating in things like human trafficking and you know auctions and things like that 
I think law enforcement so far has done a pretty good job of staying ahead of it, at least when it comes to the dark web. But then again, you know, if you're trying to find potential people, you know, there's no better place to do that than Facebook and well, maybe not Craigslist anymore. But, you know, it's happening on video games, you know, which is why you need to watch over your kids. You know what I mean? I've got young kids. I will never let my daughter go on Xbox Live or anything like that because you can see how these people start grooming there and do it. So grooming and 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 auctions and things like that and, and human trafficking happen all over the internet. It just doesn't seem to be happening on the dark web. That said, there's a lot on the dark web that is, you know, terrible starting, you know, with child pornography. So, right. So, I mean, and the, the, the actually this whole kidnapping got the attention of kind of like the authorities, right? Like, I think that the uh, Interpol and stuff like that got involved, right? Yeah, I mean, they had already had when they sent the ransom letter to the her, I think, Chloe's mom and her manager, and then it went out to someone that she had done business with before they contacted the British authorities. So when they got to the British consulate, they had a pretty good idea of what was going on. That said, the Italian authorities um, did not believe her for a very long time, and they held her in Italy for quite some time while they were trying to discern what exactly was going on before they let her go. You know, there's. You know, I mean, being falsely accused of something is absolutely terrible. So they had to make, you know, they had to be extra careful that she was It's a totally improbable story. That's why they thought she was making it up, trying to to advance her career, which probably did advance her career. But yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. Like some guy lures a girl to Italy. Like he had an elaborate, strange plot. Like it was based upon some movie, right? Wasn't it based upon, did you ever come across that? forgot like he was he was in he was involved in some movie he was interested in a movie where a kidnapper and the, the kidnappee become you know friends you know so he was trying to emulate that ah i may have if we cut it from the story i tend to forget it immediately <laughs> i think that was part that was part of like the thing i forgot let me see if i can find the name of it it's uh by any means there was some movie called by any means that had mm. this theme on it American thriller. The film received media attention after convicted kidnapper Lucas Herbus or Herba or whatever stated in the closing statement of his trial that he was inspired after watching the movie. Right. And this is why you got to get out and enjoy other people, guys, because you start watching movies and it becomes real life. It means you've gone crazy. You need to go outdoors and talk to people. Right. I mean, it's incredible. What else? What other things have you been working on? You've covered like the fappening. You've covered, um, I see here, like looking through here, we've done, you've done Chinese hacking. I mean, you've covered a lot of stuff since we talked last. What's the, the story of some of these uh, Chinese hacking incidents? Do you want to talk yeah, a little I bit mean- about that? Chinese hacking and Russian hacking are very, very similar in the sense that it is completely state sanctioned as long as you obey the following rules. One is that if asked, you are, um, you know, if asked, you are uh, to do the hacking for the state. Um, If you are, uh, gosh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. I, 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 don't see you. So I, uh, oh, there you are. Okay, great. All right. So we're still here. Um, so it is say state sh- hacking is sanctioned in China and Russia. As long as you don't hack against the state, if you're asked to hack for the state, you do so. And um, you kick back a little bit of money back to the government. And you see that happening with China, with Russia all the time. They are very, very similar. Um, and, 
it's interesting because China and Russia are penetrating systems all across the world, particularly the U.S. I have no doubt that they're inside some of our most sensitive systems. What data they're able to access, you know, I'm not so sure. But I think what we're looking at, very similar to nuclear strategy, is mutually assured destruction by the way of turning off all essential, uh, you know, the power grid, water, things like that. All of that is now on a digital infrastructure. And I think China and Russia are in our systems just as much as we are in their systems. And, you know, you hope it never comes to the point where uh, systems are getting shut down because that could be absolutely catastrophic for any society. But there's no doubt that they're doing it. And Russia and China have invested a ton of money into doing it. The difference between, you know, Russia and China and perhaps the U.S. is that we don't sanction as many sort of underground groups to do that kind of nefarious work on behalf of the government, which is not to say that we don't do it or don't have agencies that do it. Um, They, you know, in Russia and China, it's just a little bit more pervasive. Gotcha. But I mean, so this kind of cyber hacking is a constant state. It's almost like an undeclared war, right? People going in, trying to get information all that stuff. Yeah. Serena is asking you, how do you know all this? Cause you studied it, right? You've done four, like four parts on the whole um, Chinese hacking, right? Yeah. And the Chinese hacking, we've done several shows on Russia. We're doing uh, on Monday, we're doing a episode on wizard spider, which is a Russian ransomware group. Um, we've done shows that talk about ransomware, a couple of bonus episodes for people that follow us on Patreon. Um, and how pervasive ransomware is. Um, this one talks about Spring Hill Medical Center and um, how their data was held hostage by this Russian ransomware group. Um, and as a result, you know, a baby died because of it, uh, wow. because they didn't have access to the mother's data while she was giving birth. I mean, they were going back to paper charting and nobody but the very old nurses really knew how exactly to paper chart. Um, and wow. and they, those ransomwares, they get paid out real money, like seven figures or something. Like, it's incredible. Like, it's a... It's a good hustle. Oh, it's a it's a great hustle if you can find it. Sure. And a lot of people will pay it out. Um, Many people will pay it out and not talk about it. Um, But in order to get their data back, you know, these these people will come in, they'll download the data, they'll encrypt it and not give it back if they you know don't pay the money. I mean, many people, you know, people like you and me have been held ransom for, you know, send me ten thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin and you can have, you know, all this stuff on your hard drive back. So it really is all over the place. It happens through phishing. You know, I mean, there's at least once a day I get a I get an invoice from uh from like Best Buy or something like that. And you know, 100% that it is phishing. You click on that. You could easily send your data to people that could hold it for ransom or release it on the dark web or, you know, hold it blackmail or things like that. No, it's incredible. So they hold it for ransom, make money. Like that's a, that's a real thing. It's hard to believe, but that's it. I think we might've talked about in our first show, the whole thing that went down with Sony too, which was, you know, somebody just destroyed their entire freaking you know, back the uh, internet backbone, and they they were back to paper. They literally were drawing stuff on like pads with uh, with pencils. It's really smart. That that was one of my favorite favorite stories that we've covered. It was just a bonus episode, but we re re released it for everyone not too long ago. It was North Korea that hacked Sony, okay. and they were so upset that Seth Rogen was going to release uh, the interview with uh, was it James Franco. Um, where they parody Kim Jong-un. He's, you know, basically in the movie played by, I think, what's his name? Randall Park. Um, 
And Kim Jong-un was so incensed by that that they wanted to hack it. They tried to get the movie pulled. They were able to successfully get it pulled from theaters. Um, and then Seth Rogen came up with the brilliant idea to release it on YouTube. Um, and I remember actually on Christmas Eve years ago, paying $4.99 to watch the movie because I'm like, I got to see the movie that Kim Jong-un was willing to hack Sony for. The difference there from, you know, than some of these other hacks is that they were able to download so much data, so many incriminating emails, you know, just them, you know, talking crap about, you know, the president of the United States at the time, uh, you know, all actors. Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie Sheen. Oh, yeah. Everyone Nobody knew the AIDS story. Yeah. Terrible. <clears throat> no, it's incredible. It really is terabytes. Like, I don't know how Sony let that even happen. Like, terror. I mean, that's sensitive information. Competitors got information. It's just too much. I think but, it happened uh, so long ago and it didn't really happen to anyone, um, you know, as big as Sony that you don't know what's going to happen until it happens. And then you try to, uh, you know, then you try to tighten up your security systems from there. Right. How many how many bonus episodes do you have on Patreon? Uh, we've got 16 now. We just oh, wow. released. Yeah, we just released okay. one on Hector Monsegur, um, Sabu. I've got more. We did one on the Ashley Madison uh, data leak, which was, you know, very interesting one. Um, Ashley Madison, the place where, you know, you go to have Cheat an affair, life is short, have an affair. Right. What, uh, what's the story without who, who ended up being the hacker for that? For it was Madison? an inside job, actually. It was oh, wow. someone that was an employee that worked at Ashley Madison that ended up uh, zipping up and leaking all the data to the dark, uh, to the dark web. Um, several people put it into a searchable Excel spreadsheet. Um, there were tons of people with .gov email addresses. Oh, wow. um, there were some famous people. There was, uh, gosh, one of those people from one of the reality shows uh, came up and uh, he was on the list as well. So there a lot of people out there trying to, you know, have an affair on a site where most of the women were actually bots. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, so that even makes it worse. Right. Yeah, so exactly. I, I think they're advertising that was basically 50 50 between men and women. There's all these people that you could meet that you could have an affair with. But unsurprising to you and me, like 85 percent of the women were all bots or employees wow. internally. So. Something fake. Wow. So it was yeah. almost like a honeypot. And you had to pay, what, 20 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month. Like yeah. I got those ads. They I must have been like the optimal age or something like that, because it was all older, kind of older men. Right. Like married men. And some people yep. committed suicide like they were ter horrified when they found out that that they probably never anticipated that leak. But it, it leaked out. So those names, people were like crazy. I mean, so there's probably some nervous uh, dudes out there hanging with their wives over dinner, you know. Oh, thousands and thousands of them. Sure. Doxing is a really difficult thing. I mean, just putting people's personal correspondence like that on the Internet, regardless of you know, how bad or nefarious it is, is, is such a difficult thing, but it happens all the time, unfortunately. So you really need to watch what you're, what you're putting out there on the internet, because it's not always private. Right. It doesn't mean you may assume privacy, but you could get your information resold. Who knows? Like data mining is huge now. Oh, but yeah. Like, yeah. That Ashley Madison was something else. Did they ever get sued? Are they still, are they still a business? Like I would They're think that, that would end it. They've tried to rebrand a couple of times. They're owned by a larger conglomerate, so I think they were able to do that. But I don't think anyone really trusts the site. If you th think there were bots on Ashley Madison uh, a couple of years ago, I guarantee that's even more bots now exist. So 
you're trying oh. to have an affair, I, I don't suggest Ashley Madison. I'm sure there are other ways to do it. Yeah, like a bar. You could go to like the a bar. bar. There we go. Go back Get to outside, like people. brick and mortar. Yeah, touch grass. But your, but yeah, I mean, it's that's a. Uh, it's also deceptive. Like they probably didn't. The people who were involved didn't know that the the place was deceiving people that bad too. You know, like that's bad like the, the owners are like oh yeah i'm gonna get all these women blah 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 or the other but, thing you could be on tinder or something like that i suppose exactly and it's it's it, i mean look when you're lonely you're willing to accept a lot of different things i think uh, i just read something today uh, the ceo of amc the movie theater company was somebody texted him online and it was a basically a romance scam to get a bunch oh, of information for them so it's incredibly uh, pervasive if anybody's approaching you to you know go on a date or engage in some sort of romantic or sexual chat you know 99 times out of 100 they're going to be bots or someone you know in india trying to scam you yeah they say a lot of stuff on like twitter and all these guys are bots you know that the they can do bot farms to manufacture you know public uh agreements or you know public sentiment or whatever so pretty interesting a lot of fake stuff a lot of believable especially with ai Oh my gosh! Like we're in a whole different world. No, it's a, it's absolutely true. I want to do some. I want to do an episode on bot farming in in 2024 because it's all over the place and it's just it's every side of the political spectrum. So you know, I try to avoid comments on Twitter unless somebody's directly tweeting at me. I don't get a lot of stuff, but if you look into something that's got a thousand comments and and you start looking at those accounts it's like you know if it's someone representing someone on the right there's always an american flag and an eagle you know if it's somebody if on the left it's a different photo and they're all putting out such extreme content and there are so many accounts saying almost exactly the same thing and they are just people in bot farms somewhere in russia or china or you know the middle east and like you said you know now using chat gpt or another one of those, you know, AI services, you can generate a tweet that seems like it's actually coming from a real person. And the more people start reading that, the more it changes their way of thinking. So it's a very strange time to, to be alive. And, you know, my advice is stay out of the comment section and, you know, go live your life. Right. You know, you got to really be careful. They used to back in the day before the internet, they would call it like AstroTurf. They would get fake, you know, public support by, uh, different mailings and things like that. And now they can just do it online. They can really pull it off. I mean, it's really self yeah. uh, Very. If you want to take a few questions, Sabrina is asking, are you familiar with Vault 7? I am. I think I actually did a bonus episode on Vault 7, I believe. Um, and I need to refresh my memory on what the heck that was. <laughs> that was. It, was, it was like, that was the one of the leaks that went through Assange was Vault 7, right? And that showed all the backdoor stuff that the CIA could do, right? So somebody oh, right, was right, a right. disgruntled CIA, not a, he wasn't an employee, it was like a contract agent got pissed and said, hey, everybody should see this and gave it to Assange, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, it was very similar to that. Yeah, we did a bonus episode on the Vault 7 hack, um, Sabrina, it's available on Patreon or Apple Podcasts, but uh, um, yeah, it was a guy that, uh, you know, was bullied at work and you know, took a bunch of stuff. It's, it's very, it's very similar to the opening of Edward Snowden's, uh, you know, story, but I, you know, Josh Schlute, who was the subject of that story, uh, you know, didn't have, uh, as good of intentions as Snowden had, or seems to have had. Interesting. He was just pissed. He was angry. 
He wanted to get. Yeah. He went, I think he went to jail. I don't know if he's still. Uh, I think in he jail, is. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think he went to the big house. But, yeah. Uh, and Assange, I mean, if you've been following up, I mean, he's still just in limbo, right? I mean, that's probably the best place they want to keep him, right? Have you kept up with that? It, it not as much, you know. I mean, it's hard when he's sitting in a in a jail cell, you know. And you know, I think we should be paying more attention to that, you know. But you know, the United States really, really wants to really wants to get him, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, there was talk that uh, you know Trump was considering pardoning him, which never happened. Joe Biden's definitely not going to pardon him. Um, so I think he will probably end up rotting in a jail cell somewhere. Um, will he be extradited to the United States? I don't know if he is, that could be, uh, that could be even worse for him. Um, you know, right. because there is the possibility that someone could, I mean, you know, what happens sometimes in the United States jails when there's enemies oh. of the state. Yeah, so Epstein. you get Epstein, you could get anything, you know, absolutely. Oh, Assange would absolutely get Epstein. I'm sure, yeah. you know, I'm sure of it. Um, he made everybody angry. He was involved in all kinds of stuff. Just on the Podesta files alone, those went all the way around the world, you know. It is. It's amazing how the around. governments do. Governments do a really, really good job of painting people to be evil for publishing information that, quite frankly, we as citizens deserve the right to know. Absolutely. And, you know, before I really knew much about Julian Assange, I had a poor opinion of him until I started doing research on him. I was like, oh, he's just... He's kind of doing what Snowden did. You know, he's shining a light on, you know, some of the bad stuff that we do or some of the things that we do to, you know, keep the country safe. Um, right. No, I, I I think Assange was working in the public interest. I mean, everybody tries to play him off as like a prima donna or self-interest. But a lot of that stuff, it was really is in the public. We don't know. I mean, that's probably 10 percent of the stuff, you know, that we should know because that's just what he got. We don't know some of this other stuff. Well, I think um, I think he was I think he was a prima donna. He was a narcissist. But I think a lot of people like that are. And it doesn't you know, it doesn't change the fact that people doing good things can sometimes be not so great people. You know, maybe they, you may not want to be friends with them, but you can't overlook uh, the importance of what it is that they're doing. Interesting. I mean, he definitely was uh, kind of a, he was a celebrity. He, he made he, you know, he entered into celebrity status. A joker is asking a question. He says, "Can you can you expand on spoofing and the amount of social engineering that is used in the ruses?" I mean, uh, well, social engine. I mean, social engineering is the basis of a, a ton of hacks. I mean, you know, they're basically trying to get you. You know, you could. To give you an example, it's uh, Geek Squad. I get emails from Geek Squad, which is Best Buy's technical department, literally every day. And there's an invoice and they're asking me to pay it. And I haven't paid for anything from the Geek Squad for the better part of a decade, much less step foot into a Best Buy. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to get into your system the easy way or, um, you know, uh, Kevin Mitnick, which we who we covered in episode three of the show, sort of the old old school guy, um, you know, he at least at first, was not much of a hacker. He was just playing on uh, being good at developing relationships and getting people's passwords, dumpster diving to get information so they're able to get in. It's the easiest trick in the book to get access to the data, not 
at not too many people are actually capable of saying, okay, I'm going to see where William Ramsey is located. I'm going to hack into his computer, you know, using the sophisticated technical know-how. No, typically it's happening because you clicked on some sort of bogus information or, you know, somebody knew it enough to dig through your trash to figure out that your, you know, password is your dog's name or something like that. And that's how they're getting in. All right. Mindick just passed away this year. I don't know if you heard that died in July. So. I did. I did. I, I think it was pancreatic cancer. He was a young guy. I don't know. He had, hadn't even turned 60. I think he was in his 50s. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Joker says, I was looking to behavior modification and social engineering being used through mass media, and it seems a lot easier. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely easier. The Without social engineering. There, That's all that's going on. Facebook is total social engineering. All kinds of stuff. Like, they're, they are doing it in the back doors of these tech companies. Maybe, I think, actually, Elon Musk, Musk exposed it, but you know, emphasizing things, de-emphasizing, but it still looks normal to you, but you're not seeing some of these stories and they're preventing things from being seen. Like Facebook is just a huge mind control box. It's terrible. Yeah. You know, I think, I think they all are. And I, I think they're all getting worse in a way. And I was watching Bill Maher's show last Friday. I can't remember the name of the person that they had on, but she said, depending on who you are, you know, you and I, William may, be looking at Twitter at the same time and have completely different feeds. You're being fed different information than I am. And I think sometimes, you know, um, my social media gets confused of where I am on the political spectrum because it will show me both ends because I think it's trying to zero in onto, you know, who I am. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, depending on what side of the political aisle you're on, you're only being fed that narrative and the other side's only being fed that narrative. And as a re- and that as a result, we're not able to talk and have productive conversations, even if we do disagree. Um, so I think that Joker is absolutely correct. I think be- behavior modification is happening at high levels on all social media platforms. I don't think, it, no matter how big or how small it is, um, you know, I think that Elon has sort of evened it out. I think that you know, obviously, Twitter had a much more liberal slant. Um, you know, pre Elon. And, you know, as a result, there was a lot of uh, stuff from the right that was being filtered out. And now everything is kind of being allowed in. So um, is it better? I, I don't know. I think just think it's a different kind of worse. I didn't I, yeah. I don't like Twitter any more or any less than I did two years ago. So no, that's a good point. I mean, and I get stuff on my feed that I didn't request. So they're clearly pushing things to yes. me. Like I didn't follow that guy. Who's this? Who the heck is this? Why am I looking at this? So same thing happens on Facebook and they like, and I do think that there's a backdoor on Facebook to try to get information on people like not good and bad. I mean, obviously they're collecting all kinds of information on you, but like, I'm like, I've been married for 25 years. They're sending me find a date, you know, you know, 50 and older dating. And we're like, what the hell? I don't even want, I'm not even interested in this. I certainly wouldn't do it through Facebook. So it's like, it feel, I feel like they're trying to get, uh, well, the know, behavior modification, like it's behavior modification, just like it was a joker that, that, that sort of posed that thing is, is they have found through serving ads to people similar to you in terms of age and demographic, that if we serve you, go find a date or go have an affair tonight, that nine times out of 10, you're going to click it. So they have a high probability of having, you know, you or me who are, you know, married men, click on something like that. So of course you're going to get an ad served that way. 
Um, and that's how they make money. I wish totally Facebook right. would go back to, I remember when Facebook didn't have ads and Mark was very hesitant on monetizing the system, you know, his wow. system. Um, it was better back then. And now it's all just to oh. get you to click on it or to incense you, to engage you so you can stay on the platform longer. And ultimately, if you're mad, you're going to spend more time responding to comments there. Right. No, it's incredible. I just really just deleted the whole thing. I got, got so sick with the censorship and stuff like that, but uh, they're still making money. I looked at Facebook's or Meta now. They're like earnings are just incredible, like 50 billion a quarter, just something off the charts. Well, like, I think, you know, I, I would I was once thought that Facebook would die because it was mostly like my parents that were on there and, you know, older aunts and uncles and things of that nature. But, you know, I don't know if you had an opportunity to see uh, Lex Friedman interview Mark Zuckerberg on his podcast, and he did it in the metaverse. And the difference between what Mark Zuckerberg debuted when he introduced the metaverse and what it looks like now is very, very human. And it is it's insane. So you can see people, especially people that have been inside for so long, you know, not just working from home or that were locked in from COVID. It went a little crazy. They will spend more and more time there. And, you know, it's very possible that Facebook, you know, stays for a long time and makes, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really scary. You know, it's uh these, these things have to be discussed and figured out. Like, what's the optimal life? Do you want to be on in the Oculus world forever? Like, we're in a science fiction film. There's absolutely no question about it. Yeah. But, uh, Keith, we are at the 40-minute mark. Can you kind of tell what you have on the horizon, what you're working on, and uh, where people can find your podcast? Yeah, so uh, Moda Mischief's available wherever you get your podcasts. Um we are we do a show every other week we have an episode coming out on monday on the russian ransomware group wizard spider we plan on doing an episode every other week uh, as long as we possibly can maybe take a a little break in the holidays i am unfortunately considering going on tiktok and doing a sort of condensed version of each show just to sort of uh you know up the audience um so yeah, if people are interested do. in that you know let me know you find us on social media at moda mischief pretty much uh everywhere we're on patreon if you want to support the show for five bucks a month that's always great um but you know i, I keep doing the show because i i love it i find this world of computer hacking to be deeply interesting and the future to be not only interesting but scary um, and I think it's important that we cover it and we do so in a way that's accessible to everyone. You know, we're not a nerdy technology podcast. We try to make the nerdy stuff interesting and engaging. And I think for the most part, we do a pretty good job of that. So no, I agree. You know, it's it a great I mean, narrative. It's good to follow along. Well produced. So people need to go check it out. No doubt. So, thank you. um, yeah, so they can find it iTunes, things like that. And the best place to contact you is through your website. Is that yeah, here's a contact button on the website. <clears throat> Email me, Keith at motomischief.com or just uh, tweet at me. It's a one-man show. Cool. So people can reach out. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, I look forward to listening to uh, some of your new episodes. Appreciate it. My pleasure, time. William. Thanks for having me again. It's good to see uh, you. Yeah, good to see you as well. Stay there. <laughs>